I'll remind you of our two uh, text scriptures that we're using for this uh, series that we're teaching entitled The Lightnings of God. And today will be the, the, uh, the last in this series. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Uh, God said through the prophet Zechariah, ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So there is a time for the latter rain. Now, the latter rain is always used as a type of or an, uh, an example of an illustration of the moving of the Holy Ghost. When uh, the Holy Ghost was poured out on, in Acts chapter 4, Peter stood up and said, this is that. This is the rain that was prophesied and spoken of. So we know that that was uh, uh, a type of or that was an example of the rain. So we therefore know that the rain that we've been instructed to pray for is a move of the Holy Ghost in the last days. That's what in the time of the latter rain would have to mean, in the last days. So he said, ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, what good is that going to do, Pastor Mike? He said that he would make bright clouds. King James says bright clouds. The only other time that this word is translated in the King James is, is in uh, um, Job, the book of Job, and it's translated lightnings. Well, bright clouds is, a, is an example or a description of how God used to manifest himself in the Old Testament in the glory cloud. You remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, it said the house was filled with the, cloud, with the glory of God, the cloud of glory, and the priest couldn't stand up to minister. This was the same glory cloud that appeared before Moses, same glory cloud that appeared before Abraham. And so when it says the Lord shall make bright clouds, it's got to be talking about, at least the translators understood it, to be talking about the presence of God. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain and he'll make bright clouds. He'll make, he'll demonstrate his presence. But then lightnings, where it's translated, this word is translated lightnings in the only other place in the Old Testament where it's used is a demonstration of God's power. Well, which one is it? I think it's both. I think it's a manifestation of his presence and a display of his power. So ask of the Lord rain, the moving of the Holy Ghost. Ask him for the moving of the Holy Ghost in the time of the latter rain, in the last days. And he'll demonstrate not only his, pre- his power, but manifest his presence. And give them showers of rain, outpourings or showers of the Holy Ghost to everyone grass in the field. Now, that's the pr- purpose or the result for these lightnings of God or the presence of God in the last days. And that is grass in the field. Now, what does that mean? Well, James chapter 5 and verse 7 is our other text scripture. And it says this, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Thank God he's coming. Well, we know that's the last day time, don't we? The coming of the Lord is the last days. It's the end of the church age. That's when we go to heaven with Jesus to wait out the tribulation period until we come back with him at the end of that seven-year period to establish his reign here on the earth. Thank God he's coming. So he says, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord, Behold, the husbandman waiteth, talks about Jesus as being a farmer. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. So the grass in the field in Zechariah 10.1 has got to be the same as the precious fruit of the earth in James 5.7 because they're both brought about by the rain, the latter rain, in the last days. Now, the only thing God's ever farmed is people. The precious fruit of the earth or the grass in the field has to be people. In other words... The Bible is telling us to pray for a moving of the Holy Ghost in the last days to bring about a harvest of people into the kingdom of God. Now, what is this lightnings and and this bright cloud supposed to be? Well, we've looked over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and talked for a number of weeks about what the Holy Ghost told us through the Apostle Paul about how he would manifest himself. He gives us a list of nine different things or nine different ways, nine demonstrations or examples of lightnings, the lightnings of God, that are identified here in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, is given to every man to profit with all. And then it gives us this list of nine. For to one is given by the Spirit, 
the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith, or Amplified says special faith. I believe that's a good, good description. To another faith or special faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healings, both gifts and healings are in the plural in the original Greek, by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh. Thank God they all work. But all these worketh that one and self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, folks, if the Holy Ghost operates or moves in some way other than what he said he would do, then we don't have a safe guide. The Bible is not a safe guide for us. In other words, what I'm saying is this list of nine has to be the lightnings of God that's spoken of in Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Now, the lightnings of God can produce different results. For example, you could have a miracle, as in Acts chapter 3, that got 3,000 people saved on the day, uh, uh, well, shortly after the day of Pentecost. We don't know exactly how long, but shortly after the day of Pentecost, there was one miracle, healing miracle, that took place at the beautiful gate of the temple that caused 3,000 people to get saved that day. Well, what was that? Well, it was either the special faith in operation or the working of miracles, a lightning of God that brought about a harvest of people into the kingdom of God. Right? We see on the day of Pentecost a manifestation of tongues as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and not the tongues got people saved, but the preaching following the tongues got 5,000 people saved on that day. So what was that? It was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. In other words, a lightning of God. So you can see that God uh, initially, unless he's changed, and the Bible said God never changes, but unless he's changed, God intends for the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit to be the the calling card for people coming into the kingdom of God. Yeah, but what about today, Pastor Mike? Well, everything I see in the Bible shows me that God saves the best for last. When Jesus turned the water into wine in, in his earthly ministry, the wine that he made from water was better than they had to start with. Everything about God seems to be he finishes well. So I believe that there's a real move of God for us to look for in the last days. But Paul said, by the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, he said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. We've made this comment before, but we need to make it again for the sake of those who haven't heard or uh, haven't been with us or didn't hear it the first time. And that is, notice that the word gifts is in italics in verse 1, which means the translators added it. Originally in the Greek, this would read this way. Now concerning spirituals, plural, spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, that doesn't make sense to us. Nobody knows what he's talking about there. But the word spirituals literally means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So Paul is writing to the church and the Holy Ghost saved us a record of it, of where God intends for us to not be ignorant about things pertaining to the Holy Ghost. Well, that would include the lightnings of God because Paul identifies those. So we could say that the Holy Ghost is saying now concerning the lightnings of God, brethren, don't be ignorant. Right? It would certainly have to include that. Now, that's not the only thing he talks about pertaining to the Holy Ghost. He talks about the church being a body that's supposed to work together in unity. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of that either. He talks about ministry gifts. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of that either. But lightnings, the lightnings of God or the manifestations of the Spirit or what are commonly and casually called spiritual gifts. I I really don't like to use that term because it's not entirely accurate. Some of those manifestations are gifts, but not all of them. But they are all manifestations. So I prefer to call them manifestations of the Spirit. 
to be as accurate as I can scripturally. So he's saying that these manifestations of the Spirit are the lightnings of God. Now, there may be other things outside of these that we could identify as the power of the presence of God, but it would certainly have to include these nine different manifestations of the Spirit as the lightnings of God. Now, of this list of nine, three of them reveal something, either past or present or future events. Two of uh, Three of them do something. They perform a miracle or receive a miracle. And three of them say something. The three that say something are the ones that Paul focuses on more in this discourse than any other thing. That is tongues or diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Now look with me over to chapter 14. Let's start reading with some things. I've got a lot of things in my heart and I'm trusting God to get them out in a reasonable amount of time. Of course, you know, reasonable is relative. Paul starts off in chapter 14 after telling us about the love of God. We'll come back to that later. But he starts off in chapter 14 and he says, follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts. Again, this word spiritual, things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. Here he seems to be talking specifically about the manifestation of the Spirit, though. Desire the manifestation of the Spirit might be a, a, a more accurate translation, but rather that you may prophesy. Now, let me ask you a question. Is he saying of all of the list of nine, choose prophecy? I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the word of wisdom than prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy. Because the word of wisdom shows me future events. It reveals things to me in the future. But right on the other hand, if God revealed something to me by the word of wisdom, I would have to be inspired by the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of prophecy, to tell you about it. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit other people, not himself. See, there's a public side and a private side to each one of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. You can receive a miracle from God for yourself just by prayer based on God's Word. But the manifestation of working of miracles is whereby a miracle is a miracle that is worked by the Spirit of God to benefit other people, not the individual who's doing the working. Same thing's true where faith is concerned. You can receive anything in, a, in and of yourself by your own faith. But faith, as spoken of as a manifestation of the Spirit, is special faith. It's a measure of faith that you can't get just on your own believing God or own uh, study of the Word. So there's a public side and a private side. The public side is to benefit other people. The private side is to benefit you. Same thing's true where tongues is concerned. There's a public side of speaking in tongues where we call that, generally call that a message in tongues. The Bible doesn't use that term, but everybody understands what you mean when you say that. But the private side is where you speak in tongues on your own in your own private prayer life. Paul said that he spoke with tongues more than any of the rest of them, but he did it in private. So apparently God didn't use him publicly in the manifestation of the spirit called diverse kinds of tongues. So he's saying, I would rather that you prophesy and I think that it would be better for you to want the same thing. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. When Paul talks about, uh, well, let me let me read down through. I kind of interrupted myself here as I am wont to do. Let's start in verse 1 again, and let's read down through about verse 5 or somewhere around there, and then let me make some comments. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, manifestations of the Spirit, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Weymouth's translation says divine secrets instead of mysteries. What a great benefit speaking in tongues is. You're speaking divine secrets. Do you know that means the devil doesn't know what you're saying? That's why he fights it so much. 
What a benefit. He knows what you're saying in English because you know what you're saying. But when you speak in tongues, when you pray in other tongues, you're praying by the inspiration of the Spirit, not out of your own mind. You don't know what you're saying, and He doesn't know what you're saying, but you're joining in with God to pray the perfect plan and purpose of God. That's what's called divine secrets. Verse 3, But he that prophesies speaketh unto men, to edification and exhortation and comfort. Notice there's no foretelling in prophecy. The simple gift of prophecy is to speak unto men, to edify them or build them up, strengthen them, to exhort them or to encourage them, and to comfort them, to bring them peace in the midst of their situation. There's no foretelling in the simple gift of prophecy. Where Paul talks about prophecy, he sometimes speaks of it in a general sense, meaning anything that that, uh, God would inspire you to say, maybe even including prediction or foretelling the future. But then other times he speaks of it in a specific sense, like here, where he says prophecy is simply given to edify, exhort, and to comfort. Now, if you had the word of wisdom or a word of knowledge that you were inspired to speak out, that would edify, exhort, and comfort too, wouldn't it? But it would be a combination of the inspiration to speak, which is what prophecy is. It's just the inspiration to speak, but what you speak may be varied. It may just be something that God gives somebody uh, um, uh, a prompting to speak out of Scripture at a certain time of need. I don't know about you, but the Word of God has sure edified and comforted me in a lot of situations where I needed to hear it. But there's no foretelling in that. There's no prediction. There's no, there's no revelation involved there. But then there are other times where I've had the Lord speak to me about things that were to come. And boy, that sure lifted me up too. Do you see the difference? So you've got to take the context of what Paul's talking about to know if he's talking specifically about prophecy, meaning verse three, exhorting, edifying, and exhorting, uh, Edifying, exhorting, and comforting, or if he means prophesying, which includes revelation, because he talks about both. But he that prophesies speaketh not unto, speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. Some people take chapter 14, chapters 12, 13, and 14, and say that Paul took a dim view and discourage people from speaking in tongues. How can you get that if you read what he said? He said, I would that you all spake with tongues. But rather that you prophesied. Now, is he talking about in your private life, or is he talking about in public services? He's addressing the public service order. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. In other words, tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy. But prophecy is greater than just speaking in tongues if there is no interpretation. I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak unto you either by revelation or knowledge or prophesying or by doctrine? Now, folks, there's no punctuation in the King James or in the, uh, in the original translation. There is punctuation in the King James translators put it there. But there's no punctuation in the original translation. I think they did us a disservice by missing a period. I think he's saying very simply this. What shall it profit you if I come speaking with tongues? Question mark. What profit is there if I come speaking with tongues? You don't understand what I'm saying. Well, where's the profit then? The only profit that I'm going to be able to bring you, Paul is saying, is if I speak unto you by revelation, doctrine, 
Was LCLS? Speak to you either by revelation or knowledge or prophesying or by doctrine. In other words, I'm going to have to speak something that you understand in order to bring you profit. That's all he's saying. Speaking with tongues. If I came to you speaking with tongues, that's not going to do you any good. Folks, it's a very easy thing to illustrate. If I stood up here and spent the next 30 or 40 minutes speaking in tongues as my message this morning, how is that going to help you? That's going to help me. I'm going to finish up saying, wow, wasn't that a great service? Because I'm going to be edified. It's going to strengthen me. And anytime you speak in tongues, it will strengthen you spiritually. But what good is it going to do for you? Unless you think, well, okay, this is it. And then you join in and start speaking in tongues yourself. You're not going to receive any edification whatsoever. That's what Paul's saying. And apparently that's what's taking place in their, pri- in their public services. That's what he's trying to correct. Now he goes further to explain this. And he says in verse 7, he says, And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? In other words, you can make all kinds of noises you want to, but if nobody knows what the noise is supposed to signify, what good does it do? For if the trumpet shall give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known that which is spoken? For you shall just simply speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh unto me, uh, he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. In other words, he's saying, if we're speaking two different languages, how is either one of us going to make any sense to the other? If I'm speaking English and you're speaking tongues, what good is it going to do? I'm not going to understand you. And if you don't understand English, what good is me speaking English going to do for you? Do you understand what he's saying? Now, here's what I want you to get out of this, folks. Paul is, by the Holy Ghost, laying down a set of guidelines. They're not hard and fast rules. But he's laying down a set of guidelines. Now, these guidelines tell us how God uses him. The book of Acts gives us kind of an overview of Paul's ministry. I don't think it tells us everything that happened, but it kind of gives us the highlights. Well, what about Paul's ministry? How did God use him? I mean, after all, he's the one that the Holy Ghost is prompting to tell us about how the Holy Ghost moves. So he should know something about the subject. I wouldn't go to the Baptist to find out how the Holy Ghost moves. I might go to him to find out about witnessing programs. But I wouldn't go finding out how the Holy Ghost moves or manifestations of the Spirit. You understand what I'm trying to say? I don't go to the auto mechanic for groceries. He doesn't have any. I go to the grocery store for groceries. Doesn't mean the auto mechanic has no value. He has great value when we need him. So Paul's got to know something about this if he's going to be a safe and credible instructor for us. Wouldn't you agree? Well, what do we know about Paul's ministry from the book of Acts? We know that the Holy Ghost used Paul in a variety of ways. He used him in healings. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were taken unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. And when those handkerchiefs and aprons were laid on the sick bodies, the evil spirits went out of them and their bodies were healed. So we know that the Bible says he used him in miracles and in healings. That would have to be gifts of healings. We also know in Acts chapter 16 that God used him in special faith to cast out devils. There was the little girl that was sitting there on the street corner possessed with a spirit of divination, who cried after Paul many days, 
saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This did she many days, the Bible says. But one certain day, Paul's turned and looked at her and commanded to the Spirit, Come out of her, and he came out the same hour. Why didn't he do that day one? He would have if he could have. But apparently this was something that took a special manifestation of the Spirit to overcome and to exercise authority over the devil in this girl's life. She didn't come to him saying, set me free. If she had, he could have done that day one. But this was not something that she requested. This was something he was prompted by the Holy Ghost to do. And it stirred up a whole big trouble in town. Got him kicked out of town, thrown in jail, and so forth. So we see that God's using him in a variety of ways, a number of different ways. Only one way do we know for sure that God used him in some kind of special miracle when he was in church, and that's in Acts chapter 20. It says he went to Troas, and it said the church came together to break bread. Now, I guess that means dinner time. I don't know what time dinner time is in that part of the world, but they started in, in early evening, perhaps. And it says Paul was long preaching until midnight. You complain about how long my sermons are. So Paul preached till midnight, and one of these guys was sitting in the third-story window, fell asleep, young man named Eutychus, fell asleep and fell out of the window, and everybody took him up as dead. Paul laid on him and said, don't trouble yourself. His life is still in him. So he revived him, brought him back to life. Well, that happened in church. But we don't know of any other any other of these miracles or any other ways that God used him in church. That, uh, I think, Acts chapter 20 is an instruction to all ministers. If you put them to sleep, you better be able to wake them up. See, we in the church world, the present day, the modern day church world, we've d d distinguished, we separated the Holy Ghost. See, the Holy Ghost works a certain way in church, but then the Holy Ghost works privately where nobody else knows about it in your own life. Oh, they may see that you get a, an answer to prayer here and there. But folks, you look at the book of Acts, you see more manifestations of the Holy Ghost outside of church when people are living their lives than you see in church services. Yet Paul in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians deals with how the Holy Ghost is going to work in church for the specific reason and specific purpose of bringing edification to everybody so that everybody is built up and nobody is left out in church service. That's the only reason he brings us the instruction. Now, Paul, you can't find Paul in, in one case. You can't find Paul being used in tongues and interpretation throughout the book of Acts. Not one example. And from what he says... It seems that that's an infrequent, if ever, thing that happens. But you see, a lot of times where he's inspired by the Spirit of God, which is what prophecy is, to speak in a variety of languages, he knew several, to speak in a variety of languages so that he could help people understand about the things of God. And that's what Paul seems to put the emphasis on. Paul puts the emphasis on, the only way I can profit you is if I come to you by revelation, in other words, God reveals something for me to give you. That doesn't mean uh, necessarily revealing past or present or future events. It may mean re revelation about what somebody needs at the time. Paul writes to certain of these churches and says, I know what's going on there. Well, how did he know? He knew by revelation. He knew what to tell them because of what the Holy Ghost had revealed to them about what was going on in those churches. Are you out there? So he says, the way that I can bring you profit is if I come by revelation or by knowledge or by doctrine, things that I already know to be true about God, or by, what's the last one? I keep missing the last one. Or by prophesying, being inspired by the Holy Ghost to say something at that point in time. Now, let me give you an example of prophesying. 
Peter in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, preached after the Holy Ghost was poured out and everybody started hearing him speak with other tongues. Peter preached a message. What, did he have one prepared? Had he been studying, knowing that on, on, you know, the day of Pentecost, whatever day of the week it was, on the day of Pentecost, he was going to be preaching to the crowd? Had he prepared anything? Or did he get something by inspiration at the moment that caused 3,000 people to get saved? That's prophesying. But see, some people will take that example and say, well, that means all preaching is prophesying. Not so. You know as well as I do, you've been in a lot of sermons, a lot of services where the sermon wasn't inspired by God. And didn't have any fruit, didn't have any result. So Paul seems to put the emphasis on what people can learn and grow in the knowledge of God by either revelation, doctrine, knowledge, or prophesying, but all in a language that they would understand. It's um, it's apparent to me, and I don't know if people realize this or not, I, I, I assume that other people see the same things that I do and I find out that I'm wrong over and over and over again. But it's apparent to me that churches take on the personality, and I, I don't know if the if the word personality is the right word to use either, uh, I guess in some cases you could put uh, use the word strengths. In other cases, you could use the word characteristics. But a church will take on the, the and that's what I mean by the word personality in this case. A church will take on the personality of the most dominant leader or gift in that church. Most of the time, that's a pastor. But not always. For example, I've seen some pastors who have a worship leader that has a stronger gift in leading worship than they have in pastoring, teaching, preaching, whatever it is, and that will become a worship church. That becomes the strength of their church. I've seen other churches where the pastor may be a, a reformed youth minister. Reformed was a joke. But he may be a former youth minister and he starts a church. Well, those churches always become the hip churches because he's used to dealing with the young people. I've seen other churches where the pastor just makes everybody feel good and those become feel good churches. Now, each one of them can be successful. Each one of them can be used of God. Each one of them can be called of God for a specific purpose. Some churches, I'm thinking of one church right now where it's not the pastor that's used in the manifestation of the Spirit as much as his wife is. But his wife has a stronger gift in in being used by the Holy Ghost than he has in his ministry. And as a result, it's become a gift church. Now, what happens is every church produces after what their strength is. Worship churches produce musicians. They attract them and produce them. Feel-good churches produce feel-good people. Hip churches produce, attract and produce people that are trying to be, well, I tried to be, excuse me, that was, didn't mean to say that. People that are hip. I, I don't even know what that is, so it's kind of hard for me to talk about that. <laughs> and churches that are, that their strength is the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, they attract people and develop people to be used in, uh, in manifestations of the Spirit. Now it's easy to see what we are. We're very much like what Paul describes of himself. Paul is all about doctrine. Paul is about teaching. And he's the one that the Holy Ghost uses to tell us about how the Holy Ghost is going to manifest in churches. We're a teaching church. 
We develop people that are strong in doctrine, strong in the knowledge of the word. And those are the people that we attract. And not everybody wants that. Now, which one's best? Well, I think the word is. Because there's going to come a point in time where you're going to face something where the music stops. And you're going to have to find God on your own without any worship, meaning worship music. And there are going to be times where you're facing challenges in your life where it's not going to matter if you're hip. And there are going to be challenges you face in life where having feel-good people around you can be more of a hindrance than a help. And as far as the manifestation of the Spirit is concerned, the manifestation of the Spirit is great. It's one of the most outstanding and, and wonderful things about being a Christian. But you can't turn it on and off like you want to or whenever you want to. These things operate as the Spirit wills, not as you will. But in every one of those cases, the Word will pull you through. Now, you need to realize every one of these churches, the feel-good churches, the worship churches, the hip churches, and the manifestation churches, every one of those will tell you that theirs is the better way. And it's interesting because I've noticed that most of those churches, either the field churches, the worship churches, or the hip churches specifically, will start organizations and associations to try to teach everybody else to be like them. And it never works. Because no matter how many times you preach Mr. Pastor Feelgood's sermon, if you're not a feel-good person and God uses you in the same way, it's not going to work. And you can't turn another church's worship team into the worship church's ministry or their group if God hadn't given you the same thing to do. Right? See, these things seem apparent to me. I'm amazed when other people don't see them. Now, for that reason, I've had people come into the church and say, now, Pastor Mike, I'm so glad to find your church. I'm so blessed. The teaching is just wonderful. Now, I want you to know that the Lord uses me in the manifestation of the gifts. Now, what do they think? They think they're going to change what God has given us to do. Now, what they're looking for is they're looking for a free ride. They're looking for a pass. They're looking for the green light for me to say, oh, we've been waiting for you. Because, see, I'm strong over here. You tell us about the Holy Ghost. Well, what about Paul? Paul wasn't used in tongues and interpretation, and that's always what people mean when they say God uses them in the gifts. That means I speak in tongues, ready to go, anytime. Want to hear me now? Well, God didn't seem to use Paul in that regard, and he still knew the moving of the Holy Ghost. Can you see that? Did you notice he says there are many voices in the air and none are without signification? I had an experience this last week that uh, that really caught my attention. I'm standing in uh, in the checkout line at a store, a certain store. It was a grocery store. And there was this lady, and uh, bless her heart, she had her hands full. She had two or three kids in tow. One of them was about five years old, and this kid, he just decided this is my day to act out. And so she's in the checkout line in front of me trying to get her stuff out of the cart and onto the thing. And I, I helped as much as I could, but, you know, she's in front of me and I can't reach over and around and stuff. And so finally this kid is just throwing a fit, screaming, doing all kinds of stuff, throwing things off the, the little rack, you know, the trying to sell you candy on your way out kind of stuff. He's grabbing, throwing, stuff like that. And finally she says, John Michael Roberts. That's not his real name. <laughs> Never know where this is going to go. She said, John Michael Roberts, do you need a timeout? And I had a flashback. 
Because I could remember my mother saying, Michael Clay Webb. Of course, in my day, there weren't timeouts. When she said your three names, it meant time's up. And I stood there and I just started laughing, just started laughing. See this little lady over here? My mom's right over there. See how pretty she is? That little woman beat me thoroughly. And often. Now, if she had said something in Russian, I wouldn't have known what it meant. I may have recognized that it was her. I may have recognized that it was a tone that I wasn't particularly fond of, but I wouldn't have known what she meant. But boy, when she called me by three names, I knew exactly what that meant. That meant my only, sa- my only salvation was speed. I became an athlete by learning to run from my mom. Kids know what their parents mean, don't they? Why? Because they're acquainted with them. Paul understood the moving of the Holy Ghost because he was acquainted with the Holy Ghost, not because God used him in tongues and interpretation. Now, skip with me over in chapter 14. Let me show you something else here. He's, notice he says, uh, in ver- we'll start in verse 26. He says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. In other words, he's describing to us what's happening in the church at Corinth. People are coming together and everybody's got something and there's no order to what's being done. So the congregation, by and large, is not being built up. People are coming to church, having this experience. It's spiritual. It's Holy Ghost. There's no question about it. It is the Spirit of God, but it's not being controlled and directed in such a way so that people leave strengthened in spirit. They can come to church and say, wow, the Holy Ghost was sure moving today. But what good did that do them? None. So Paul is giving instruction for how these things should operate in church services. Now, there's no guideline, no instruction for how the Holy Ghost should operate in and through you outside of a church service. You see somebody to lay hands on and minister healing to, do it. There's no guideline for that. There's no rule that says you've got to bring them to church and, and make sure they're in healing school. And see, we've, we've identified everything and brought it down and, and, and limited it to search services. Well, folks, church services should not be the only place that the Holy Ghost moves. As a matter of fact, it should be the least move of the Holy Ghost that happens throughout the whole church body. Wouldn't you agree? Because a lot of these things are to reach the unbelievers. Well, there's not a whole lot of unbelievers that come to a word church. The people that we attract are people that are generally already saved and people that are interested in learning more about the truth of God's word. Not too many unsaved people want to know about God's word. They don't know the need for it. So if we're limited to the moving of the Holy Ghost just within our four walls, we're never going to have much. Can you say amen? So what does Paul say for them to do? This seems to be a gift church. And notice there must not be a pastor that's uh, that's called of God, that's uh, a ministry gift or someone in a ministry office that's set in place because Paul never calls anybody by name. He never says, now you guys quit stepping out there and give place to Pastor Claudius or whoever. Does he? He's speaking to them as if they are a group without much leadership. 
which must have been the case. So notice what he says as a fix for their situation, their current situation. Verse 27, he said, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. Now, let me tell you how this has been interpreted, how this verse of scripture has been interpreted in the the church world, the charismatic church. And that is, if anyone speaks in tongues, gives a message in tongues, make sure it's no more than two or three in a service and let someone give the interpretation. And that's not what it's saying. First of all, the words two and three have to do with people, persons, not numbers. So what he's saying is, if there's tongues and interpretation and operation in your church services, let it be with two or three people involved. Let it be with two or three people involved. He's not talking about a number of times that someone can speak out. Theoretically, you could have a thousand messages in tongues with only a few people involved. And as long as there's an interpretation for what's being said, everybody can be edified. And that certainly would be a sign from God, wouldn't it? Because that's not the norm. So these words two and three have to do with persons, not messages. So he says, if any man speak in an unknown tongue or any one, literally, the word man's not in there. If any speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three people and that by course. In other words, don't step on one another into doing it. Let there be some order. Don't be in a hurry to be the one that's used. And let one interpret. Now notice verse 28. But if there be no interpreter. Notice he doesn't say if there's no interpretation. He says if there's no interpreter. Now the interpreter is talking about a person too. In other words, he's saying every service should have someone in charge that knows the moving of the Holy Ghost. That can interpret the moving of the Holy Ghost. Now folks, that should be the pastor of every church. It's not always. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Which means just because you've got something to say in tongues doesn't mean you should always give it out. Now, Brother Hagin talked about J.R. Goodwin's church, Brother Goodwin. He called him Dad Goodwin, Mom and Dad Goodwin. They were used in, in uh, Brother Goodwin died right after I got to Ramah, so I never really had a chance to be around him or know him much. But um, uh, but Mom Goodwin, I had a chance to be around her a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. But uh, but they were used. I've read a lot of things about how God used them and and uh, some of the, the things that have been written about their ministry and about their church. And Brother Hagin said they had the greatest order of any church that he'd ever been in. Now they were a manifestation or a gift church. Brother Goodwin was, was a a good preacher, but it wasn't like he had an outstanding teaching ministry or anything like that. The dominant part of their church was the moving of the Holy Ghost. Now, God would use him in tongues primarily and her in interpretation. And he said it, he said himself about this one time, he said, that's not the way God wanted to do it. He said, or she explained that they were explaining, talking about this to a group of people one time. And he said, we kind of had, God kind of had to change things up on us. He said, originally, God wanted me to give the interpretation, her to be the one to speak in tongues and me to be the one to give interpretation, which would fall in line with the way that it should work in the church. Because if he's the interpreter, then he should be the one to know the moving of the Holy Ghost. But then she spoke up and she said, she called him daddy. She said, but daddy never believed the worst of people, so he never would be able to accept the interpretation as it came. And there would be things that she would call out 
He would speak in tongues and she would interpret about people's sins and the things that were going on in their lives and stuff like that. And he would stand there with his mouth open saying, I can't believe they're doing that. But she'd just get stuff from the Holy Ghost and here it would come. So they would use, God would use them in tongues and interpretation, sometimes in revelation as well, sometimes to reveal things that were taking place so that the church was edified, the church was built up. It saved the church from being uh, taken advantage of by a lot of people, or some people at least, and that type of thing. And so Brother Hagin said that they had the greatest order in their church of any other church he'd ever been in. He said that, uh, that Brother Goodwin explained it to him one time. One of the first times Brother Hagin had ever been there to, to minister, he said, now, if someone has a, men- has a message in tongues or believes they had something from God, they'll raise their hand. They won't just speak out in the service. He said, now, I've taught them to do that because sometimes, and God would use them this way as well in prophecy, he said, sometimes I'll be getting ready to prophesy something by the Spirit of God and someone in the congregation will have a sense or have a, a, a spiritual sense that something is about to take place, so they will interpret I'm supposed to do something. They would interpret that or sense that that means God wants me to move. But he's, they're not. That's not what God's doing. It's that they're picking up in their spirits what God's about to do with, with somebody else. So he said, he taught his people, if you raise your hand, if I don't recognize you, if it fits, I will recognize you and you can go ahead with it. But if it doesn't fit at that point in time, don't get your feelings hurt. It may mean it's for another time or it may just mean you're picking up on something God wants to do in a different way. Well, that's a pretty good order for a church service, isn't it? Well, Pastor Mike, are you going to do that? There's not any need to do that. We're not a manifestation church. That would be a good prom- a, a good uh, practice for us to follow if it becomes something that God does start using us in that way, and I'm, I'm wide open to that. But Paul didn't do that in his services. He didn't start off his services and say, now, anybody that's got something from the Holy Ghost, just lift your hand. And if it seems right, we'll get to you. Because God didn't use him in that way. God used him in doctrine and in teaching. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? So see, when we talk about the manifestation of the Spirit, it's not necessarily going to change the nature of our church, nor is it supposed to. And it's easy to look at these verses of Scripture and say, oh, this is how every church is supposed to be. Really? Is it? Well, then why does Paul tell them to emphasize the teaching and the doctrine and using their own language rather than tongues? Paul does a masterful job of not putting down the moving of the Spirit, but saying that the moving of the Spirit through a language and through a manner and a method whereby everybody understands what's going on is a much better way for it to operate. But there's a problem with that. That seems less supernatural to people that are ignorant. So what is he doing? He's trying to correct their ignorance. So there should be an interpreter. Now, I heard Brother Hagin say this. I learned this from him. When he was talking about this one time, it, it brought great revelation to me about where it says two or three, where it was talking about people. And you look those words up. It's like how we would use him versus they. We understood the pro, we understand that the pronoun means more than one person. Well, in the same way, this, this word is used in the Greek to mean persons, not number. So that was great revelation to me. And then when he started talking about the interpreter, every service should have an interpreter. Well, I recognized immediately that Brother Hagen was the interpreter of the services that he was in charge of. 
And we'd get in other services in other places, other pastors and other churches and so forth. We'd get in other places where I'd be with him and I would recognize the move of the spirit start to go one way. The pastor would start doing something and I'd watch Brother Hagin because I knew he knew which way the Holy Ghost was moving. It's just something that was in him. It was just a part of what the Lord gave him. And there would be times where I'd talk to him about it afterwards. Well, he explained to me that every pastor should be the interpreter of, of his own service, of the service that God puts him in charge of, the church God gives him in charge of, but you have to develop these things. And he just told me in one case where the pastor went a certain direction and it just didn't seem to, to, to bring forth the result that, uh, I don't know, we just kind of left the service kind of feeling blah rather than lifted up by it. So I asked Brother Hagin about it later. And he was kind. He didn't put the pastor down. He just says, well, the pastor hasn't developed that ministry of interpretation or being an interpreter in this service. The more he uses that, the more it'll develop. So when the Lord put it in my heart to move out here and start the church, I knew immediately I didn't have something that I needed to have. So I prayed about it. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, if I'm going to be in charge of a church that you're sending me to start, the pastor and so forth, I'm going to need to be the interpreter in that service. And I don't know anything about it. You're going to have to give this to me so that I can understand. So that I can know which way the Holy Ghost is going. Because if somebody comes in and claims to know the Holy Ghost in a better way than I do, how am I going to know what's right and what's not? And see, folks, that's how a lot of churches get split. Because the leaders don't have the knowledge of how things are supposed to work. And so somebody comes in claiming to have some gift and they may do something supernatural and it draws people off. And so part of the church starts going one way, and the other part of the church stays on the same course they were. So church is split. And don't think for a moment that the devil won't inspire somebody to do something and have them think that it's God for the purpose of tearing things up. See, part of a shepherd's job is not only to feed, but also to protect the sheep. The greatest protection I've ever found for this church throughout the years that we've been, since we started it in 1986, has been the knowledge of the Word of God about how things are supposed to work. Can you say amen? So I prayed. We hadn't even moved out here yet. I'm still going to certain things with Brother Hagin, not working with him any longer, but uh, but went to a meeting with uh, where uh, uh, Brother Hagin was ministering. And there was a certain lady, there was a crusade, we went to a crusade where he was at, and there was a certain lady that stood up in the middle of the service and spoke out in tongues and then and, and before anything had a chance to, to, you know, move to another thing, she started interpreting. Well, the interpretation just didn't sit right with me. First time I'd ever been in a situation where I thought, wait a minute, that's not right. Well, how do I know if what's right and what's wrong? I don't have anything to do with that service. But something in my spirit just didn't sit right. It just It just didn't seem like it was the right thing. Just didn't seem like that was what God was wanting to be done at that point in time. So I asked Brother Hagin about it later. I, I noticed, uh, I, I should back up and tell you what happened. I noticed that at the same time that I was uh, conscious or seemed to be conscious that it wasn't the right thing, I seemed to have a sense on the inside of what the Lord was trying to get across to the people. And then I noticed that Brother Hagin spoke that out during his teaching a little bit later in the service. So we went to lunch afterwards. It was morning service. We went to lunch afterwards. So I asked him about it. I said, uh, that lady that spoke in tongues, I said, the tongues was right, wasn't it? He looked at me and kind of kind of smiled, and he said, why? I said, I'm just trying to learn some things here, Dad. Let, help me out here. The tongues was right, but the interpretation was wrong. He smiled, and he said, yeah, she got to thinking about people looking at her, and she lost it. I said, well, why didn't you fix that? 
And he said this. He said, you remember in the Old Testament when Moses went before Pharaoh? He threw down his rod and it turned into a snake. He said the magicians threw theirs down too and theirs turned into snakes also. He said Moses' rod just swallowed up theirs and they went on. He said sometimes you do more harm and damage trying to correct things rather than just swallowing up and move on even if it's the wrong thing. And then I said, but you later spoke out what was the message in tongues, what was being said in tongues during your service. And he smiled at me again and he said, hey, you're catching on. I said, but you didn't say, thus saith the Lord. You didn't bring any attention to it. He said, no, that's not the important part. The important part is the people heard it. Well, I started learning something. Now, as the interpreter in our services, if somebody speaks in tongues, I'll have one of two things. If I'm supposed to minister or speak out the interpretation, I'll get a few words of what's being said. But if I'm not the one to give out the interpretation, and see, the interpreter, being the interpreter, doesn't mean you're always the one to interpret or give out the message in tongues, or speak out the, that which is said in tongues. But if, I, if I'm not the one to do it, then I'll have a sense. I'll just have a general sense of what's being said, and then I'll know who it is that's supposed to do it. Now, how do I know? I don't know. I just know. It's a spontaneous thing. Now, there are times where it has taken place in our services that somebody has spoken out in tongues, and it wasn't inspired by the Holy Ghost. They just got excited and spoke out in tongues. And I knew immediately that they're just worshiping God. You remember in Acts chapter 10, it says that they knew that the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. And we knew that the gift of the Holy Ghost was given unto them for we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. See, speaking in tongues is magnifying God in any situation, whether it's public or private. And there are times where people have spoken out in tongues just because they got excited. They got excited by what something God was doing on the inside of them. And so they just spoke out. And I knew that it wasn't something God was trying to say to the people. It was just something that they were worshiping God. So I stood up and I said, folks, our sister is just worshiping God. Let's all worship God with her. Everybody stood up and started praising God, some of them in tongues and so forth. And everything was fine. But even at that, like I said, Paul just giving us guidelines. Because the guidelines would be that anytime there's a message in tongues or anytime someone speaks in tongues in a service, there should be an interpretation. But that's not a hard and fast rule. Brother Hagen also told a story about a guy that uh, he was ministering for in Mesa, Arizona in 1955. And he said, um, well, this happened in 1955. I'm not sure when he was there. But anyway, he said that uh, he got to this service and the pastor asked him, he said, now, look, Brother Hagen, I need to know something. There was somebody that spoke out in tongues, a lady that spoke out in, in tongues in my church, and there was no interpretation. Is that the right thing to do? Is that is that ever okay? And Brother Hagin said, well, just based on that, I can't give you an answer. Tell me the whole story. Well, the whole story was this. The, the Korean War was on, and there were two guys from the east. They didn't know each other from their hometowns, but they had both been um, uh, assigned or stationed to the Air Force Base there in, uh, in nearby town. One guy was a Pentecostal guy, and the other guy was a Jew. And the Jewish fella didn't have any friends, and so the Pentecostal fella befriended him in the, in the company and, and that type of thing, and so he wound up inviting him to church. And so the, the Jewish fellow says, no, no, I don't believe in church and all that kind of stuff. So the Pentecostal fellow said, well, look, he said, I'll make you a deal. He said, I'll go with you to synagogue if you'll come to me with church, come with me to church. Well, the guy said, okay. So the Pentecostal guy went with him to synagogue, and then they're making good on the other end, and he's bringing him to church. Well, here they are, these two are, uh, servicemen, one a Pentecostal fellow, one a believer, and the other is a Jew. He's an unbeliever. And so in the middle of the service, or sometime during the service, this lady stands up and she speaks out in tongues. 
And the pastor didn't have anything. He told Brother Hagin, you know, I waited for the interpretation. A lot of times I get one. And I waited for the interpretation and nothing happened. He said, I gave an opportunity for somebody else to give the interpretation, thinking maybe that was the way it was supposed to go. And that didn't happen either. And so he just said, well, I saw I'll just stand up and worship God together and that type of thing, kind of smoothed it over and went on with his message. Well, after the service, he's standing at the back of the auditorium shaking hands with people on the way out. And these two servicemen come up to him, and he could tell that the, the Jewish fellow was real agitated. He didn't know who he was or anything about him at that time, but he could tell he was real agitated. And so he, he, the, the other fellow said, the Pentecostal fellow said, uh, my friend needs to ask you a question. He said, well, okay, let me finish shaking hands with people, and I'll, I'll be glad to spend time with you. So a few minutes later, they stood off to the side, and he said, uh, the Jewish fellow said, who was that lady that spoke to me in Hebrew? And he said, what are you talking about? He said, that lady that stood up and spoke, she called my name in Hebrew. She said that I was to believe in Jesus because he is the Messiah. Who was that woman that spoke to me? He said, she even, at the end of what she said, even called me a pet name that only my mother has ever called me in my life. Well, the pastor was kind of dumbfounded, and he said, he said, wait, hold on just a second. And he turned to somebody close by, and he said, go out there and see if Ruby's still here. Well, Ruby was still in the parking lot or close by, so Ruby comes back in. And so he said, is this the woman you're talking about? And he said, yeah, yeah, she's the one that spoke to me. So he, she comes in, they introduce one, the pastor introduces back and forth, doesn't give too much information. And so this, uh, this Jewish serviceman starts talking to her in Hebrew. And she's looking at him like a cow at a new gate. <laughs> what is going on here? And so the pastor told her, told him, told the Jewish fellow. He said, now Ruby, thank you so much for coming back. We don't want to take your time, but, but thank you so much. They stood there and talked for a few minutes, gave him a gist of who she was and that kind of thing. And so she left and he said, now let me tell you about her. He said, this lady has a, a second grade education. He said, she works doing menial housework. She washes clothes for people. She takes in laundry and does clothes for people. Mostly it's just people in the church that are just trying to help her and give her enough to, to live on for her and her daughter. She doesn't have enough education to hardly know English, much less Hebrew. Well, he had spent enough time talking with her just in those few minutes to see that the pastor was telling him the truth. So he said, well, what does this mean? And the pastor laughs. It sounds like God's talking to you. Well, the guy came back that night, that Sunday night, and got saved. Now, this is the pastor asking Brother Hagin, is that all right? After the whole story, Brother Hagin starts laughing. He said, well, of course it's all right. Somebody got saved off of that. So you can see that this, these are guidelines in 1 Corinthians. Not hard and fast rules. They're guidelines. And there's never going to be a time where we've got it all figured out. Nor are we supposed to. We're supposed to know the gist of how the Holy Ghost moves. But there's always going to be ways that he goes outside of our understanding. Now, before we close, let me go back to one thing. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I would be remiss if I didn't close this series with this truth. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 13, right in between chapter 12, which tells us about the manifestations of the Spirit, and chapter 14, which tells us about how tongues, interpretation, and prophecy should work in the church, he covers it or surrounds the, or he, um, right in the middle of it, he gives us the chapter on love, the great love chapter. Now, as a Baptist, we read chapter 11, because that's talking about Jesus coming back. We read chapter 13, which is talking about love, and then we skipped over to chapter 15, which again is talking about the end. We skipped over entirely the second and the 14th chapter. But the context of the love chapter is chapters 12 and 14. 
And notice what Paul said. Again, he's inspired by the Holy Ghost telling us how he moves. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Now here he's not talking about simple gift of prophecy. He's talking about revelation too. In other words, the gift of prophecy that a prophet might have, which he's acquainted with. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, that's special faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give the, my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profits me nothing. In other words, he's saying, notice what he's saying. He's saying, if I don't have love, then it doesn't do any good if I'm a big giver. If I don't have love, it doesn't do any good if I'm a martyr. If I don't have love, it doesn't do any good if I'm used in special faith. If I don't have love, it doesn't do me any good if I'm used in revelation. If I don't have love, even though I speak with tongues, it's going to be an annoying sound. Very simply, here's what chapter 13 means. Chapter 13 means that love is the basis or the foundation for the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, whether you're not, you know this, love is the holiness of God in practice. See, if you talk about holiness, if you preach on holiness, a lot of people think that means rules and regulations, things you can't do, a couple of things you can, but most of all the things you can't do. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is Christ-likeness, and that's love. Holiness is the love of God. That's why Galatians chapter 5, and again, Paul gives us this list, Galatians chapter 5 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the character of God built and developed into our heart. There's a list of nine in Galatians chapter 5, just like there's a list of nine in 1 Corinthians 12. Well, which, which list is more important? They're both equally important. Because the list in Galatians 5 is about character, which is the basis for the power list in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And so very simply, he's saying this. He's saying holiness is the foundation. Holiness, meaning the love of God, is the foundation for the manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now, let me turn that around and, and make some comments about this. Is holiness or is, uh, is the manifestation of the Spirit a sign of holiness in somebody's life? No. Is holiness, Christ-likeness, the love of God developed in their heart, a prerequisite for the gifts to be manifested? No. That's obvious because in 1 Corinthians, they're not concerned about anybody else. See, Paul defines love as looking out for the other person more than me. That's why Paul was willing to deny himself certain things because it was better for other people. He said it's not that it's unlawful for me to do the things. It just doesn't help other people for me to do them. So that's what he identified as the example of love in his life. Well, that's not what's happening in 1 Corinthians. These people are at the Lord's Supper and some of them are getting drunk. And others are left out. Others are, are, all the wine is being drunk so that some others don't even have an opportunity to take communion. And other people are treating it like a big feast, a church dinner, rather than the Lord's Supper. Well, that's not love. Yet they've got all the manifestations of the Spirit in operation among them. So the manifestation of the Spirit can't be a sign of the holiness or a sign of the love of God being developed in your life. Well, then how does love work? Love works according to the effectiveness of when the Holy Ghost manifests. So let me just make a blanket statement here. If you're not going to commit yourself to grow in holiness, meaning the love of God, meaning putting others first instead of yourself, don't just forget about the manifestations of the Spirit. Because anything that would manifest by the Holy Ghost through you will be an annoyance and will bring disrepute to the things of God rather than a blessing. And that's what Paul's saying. 
things get quiet when you talk like this, don't they? See, you got people fighting over the grace message nowadays. Well, grace means I have freedom and liberty. Well, freedom to do what? Paul said, don't consider your liberty in the Lord as an, an excuse to sin. Now, why would he say that? Because his love walk is to put other people first. So when you talk about lifestyle, I'm talking about lifestyle from a standpoint of love of God, from a standpoint of holiness. Other people hear that as a set of rules and regulations. Well, folks, I don't have a rule that says I don't or can't drink. I can drink. It's lawful for me to drink, but it doesn't help the other person. It might cause them to stumble, so I'm not going to. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you could settle these issues once and for all? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a scripture that just said, this is it and no matter what? Wouldn't it be nice if God came down and wrote a final verse of scripture that said, thou shalt not drink? I think that'd be a great scripture. You may disagree. But you remember, this is something that was fought over in Jesus' day. This was an issue in Jesus' day. It's always going to be an issue. In Jesus' day, Jesus said, John the Baptist didn't drink, and y'all said he was a nut. I do drink, and you say that I'm a drunk. So the bottom line is this. You're never going to make everybody happy no matter what you do. Which means you're going to have to choose what you're going to do based on something other than making people happy. Something other than fitting in with other people is going to have to be the baseline for your behavior and your lifestyle, the manner of holiness which you, which you exhibit in your life. Paul said his baseline was, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to eat meat. I'm not going to drink drinks. I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause somebody else to stumble. Has nothing to do with right and wrong. Has nothing to do with what I can or can't do. I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to take the chance on making somebody else stumble. And that's what he called. That's what he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to call the love of God in action. Can you say amen? Even if you're not going to agree, can you say amen? So that's what chapter 13 is all about. Love is the foundation for the effectiveness of the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, not the will of God. It's not that God looks at people and says, well, you're not living right, so I'm not going to manifest myself. If that was the case, they wouldn't have had anything going on in Corinth. Because they've got the fornication going on in chapter chapter 5. They've got the drunkenness and the feasting. And not looking out for everybody in chapter 11. Man, they've got more going wrong in their church than any other church, yet they seem to have the greatest manifestation of the Spirit. Why is that? Because that's the way that the church was being used. That's the way the the personality, if you will, of that church. He didn't have to tell that to the church at Ephesus. He had to tell them to quit lying. He had to tell them to quit stealing. So they're just dealing with normal life stuff. He didn't have to tell them, now be careful about how the Holy Ghost manifests among you, because they were a teaching church. They were a doctrine church. And so he tells them more about doctrine than he does these folks. Because that was their thing. Is this making any sense at all? So let me repeat what I said before. If you're not going to make holiness the foundation of your life, forget about the manifestation of the Spirit. Because it won't, whatever the Holy Ghost does through you, Even though it may be pure from God's end, it won't bring blessing to other people through you. And isn't that some of the things that causes us to wonder the most about the manifestation of the Spirit? We look at some people that are used by the Holy Ghost and we think, why would God use them? Because we know their lives. Sounding brass, tinkling simple. It's not a voice that brings blessing. 
It's just an annoyance and a wonder. Can you say amen? God wants us to be familiar with how the Holy Ghost operates. God wants us to know how the Holy Ghost will move. But folks, I'm looking for the Holy Ghost to move in your life more than in our church services. He's free to do whatever he wants to in our church services. He knows that. I'm not looking, I'm not believing for or looking to be used in the manifestation of the Spirit in tongues, interpretation or prophecy or anything like that in a greater way. As far as I'm concerned, whatever God wants to do, he can do. But I'm never going to put the manifestation of the Spirit above the teaching of the Word. Ever. And I'm on pretty good ground to do that because Paul wouldn't do that. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I believe when we come in line with him, it gives him greater freedom to operate. Whether in these four walls or outside these four walls. And that's what I'm looking for. Because it's the moving of the Holy Ghost in the last days that's going to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. And we've been praying too long and too effectively for that not to see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to learn of these truths. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing these things to us that we might know what you do and how you operate. Holy Spirit, we've said this over and over again. It's redundant for us to say it, but we want to make sure that you understand. You have free course and reign in this service, in this church, in any service in this church, anything that has to do with this church. We yield our will to you. Not our will, Lord, but your will be done. Not our plan, but your plan be accomplished. Not our schedule or program, but yours be done in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. All right, Lord, I'll do that. I'll do that. Let me let me close the service by telling you something that happened. This is something we just got word of this last week, and I'm, I'm not going to name any names. So if I'm telling your story, unless you tell somebody about it, nobody else will know. I won't use any names or anything like that. We got word of a, of a situation that happened in somebody's life 36 years ago where they were in a, a certain church, and uh, it was a Spanish-speaking church. And um, there was some kind of prayer service or some kind of, Something was taking place at the end of the service and the pastor came by and laid hands on this young man and commanded him to speak in tongues. And he did. And the pastor, as I understand the story, kind of used that as a as a look what I can do type thing. Well, it embarrassed the young man and it frightened him. And so for for 36 years, he'd never spoken in tongues again. But as we were teaching along this line last week after the service last Sunday morning, and we were praying. We just said some simple prayer about the Lord using people as, and yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God. He began to speak in other tongues. First time in 36 years. Now, what was it that opened that door? It was the truth of God's Word. Now, why did God do that? Did I have anything to do with it? No, somebody had to tell me that it happened after the fact. No danger of me standing up and saying, look what I can do. I didn't even know about it. But the point is this. And I trust this person uses it, has used it every day since, and uses it for the rest of his life. But the point is this. God wants to manifest himself in you and through you, both privately and publicly, as he sees fit. Privately as you will. Publicly as he sees fit.
to bring blessing into your life. This man had been robbed of a blessing of God for 36 years. Because of the way that someone operated outside of the love of God to draw attention to themselves rather than to the blessing that the person had received. God loves you so much that he gave you the Holy Ghost. Do you realize that the Holy Ghost dwelling in you is the sign of the life of God in you? It's not the only sign, but the presence of the Holy Ghost, the fact that he gives you utterance in other tongues whenever you choose to speak is the sign that heaven dwells in you. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. Don't take that for granted. Don't fail to utilize that. Because the more you utilize that, I believe that Paul received the revelation that he did because he spoke with tongues more than the Corinthian church. I believe that God used him in the signs and wonders and miracles that he did because he spoke with other tongues. Because it opens a pathway between your spirit and the spirit of God to become acquainted with him so that you can be used as he wills. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's all stand. I want to thank you for being a part of this church because as far as I'm concerned, that means you've put the word first. I know you don't come here for me. I'm not one of those feel-good types. But I appreciate so much that you put the word first. And I'm looking for God to do great things in your life. I don't care what he does in services. That's immaterial to me. That's his will, his purpose, his stuff, not me. Doesn't, if he does something big, it's not going to point to me and say I'm the big guy. So that means nothing to me. I know how powerless I am without him. But I'm looking for him to do big things in you. Amen. Thanks for being a part of us. Don't forget the Newcomers Fellowship. that will begin in just a few moments for those of you that want to come. God bless you.